Hello again, and welcome to another episode of Biomass. We're on episode 156, and we've got a lot of good stuff to talk about this week. Some some real neat stuff coming out of, uh, particularly a lot of X-Men stuff, and some new interesting uh, Project Nova updates. So, uh, let's get started with some introductions, starting at the top of the list with Sarizel. I'm Sarizel, um, and uh, it, it's Dust Day, so happy Dust Day. Alright, and Bate? Uh, hey, what's up, everybody? My name is Bate, and I'm sitting here in front of my desk uh, with some Latin homework and entourage in the background. There you go. All right, and the recently uh, unemployed Jason? <laughs> uh, touche. Uh, I'm actually quite well employed, although you probably couldn't tell it if you actually saw me at work. So, uh, yes, my name is Jason. I'm also one of the hosts here on Biomast. And the number 156 today is brought to you by the heavy metal band Queensryche. Because uh, I think back in 1985, no, 84, they had a song called 156. Very cool. And if you're wondering why I'm saying he's unemployed, his uh, selected name for this week is in uh, reference to uh, the old FBI director. So uh, we are good with that. But uh, And our guest for this week is Darth. Introduce yourself. Hi, I'm, I'm Darth Carbonite. I'm a uh, silent lucidity fan myself, but... Uh... Glad to be well here. Played. <laughs> it's been a long time since you've been on the show, hasn't it? It's been an exceedingly long time, but I figured today of all days, I had to. There you have it. And uh, I'm Pokey Draven. I obviously help host the show here, and I did actually write for the blog. I don't just talk about it in the past. I did this week, um, and we'll talk a bit about that uh, later in the show here. So let's get started with kind of our, our movies and entertainment coming up. Like I said before, lots of X-Men stuff coming out this week and a couple of things we missed uh, last week. So the first one we're going to touch on is uh, there's a new uh, X-Men series, TV series uh, called The Gifted, which is coming out on Fox. And this one uh, is about, from what my, my read is of the previous uh previous discussions about it. It's basically about these two parents and they realize their children are mutants and uh, the government is hostile to mutants at this time. And so they're kind of forced to go into uh, hiding and join this underground mutant organization to kind of help fight for their survival and stuff like that. Uh, as of recording this, uh, the official trailer isn't out yet because they are still doing that. We have trailers of our trailers. Uh, so I think the official trailer is actually coming out tomorrow on the 15th, but by the time the show is posted, uh, we will have a link to the, the proper trailer um, at that time. So um, did you guys see this one? What, what do you think? I mean, there's not much to go off of. I, I don't know how familiar you are with the, the base material, but uh, it seems interesting, yeah? Is this the one where the two, like, fall in love or something? No, no that's, that's Cloak and Dagger. That's, a comp- that's, not a, that's not an X-Men one. That's more like... Uh, I, like MCU, like general Marvel stuff, right? I think. Yeah. Yeah. As far as yeah. I know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I did my homework. <laughs> well, someone has to, right? Um, yeah. I mean, like I said, this is pretty light on details. There's not a whole lot of, uh, you know, there's a proper trailer, really. It's kind of a, a short little thing. So, and I think this one's coming out, uh, yeah, May 15th. There's no release date yet. We'll probably find uh, more of a proper release date when that full trailer comes out. But uh, they did say that this is actually going to have some tie-ins with um, other Marvel-related uh, stuff. But they did say it's going to be focused a little more on tying in with the Marvel movies rather than uh, Legion, which is the other um, X-Men-themed uh, TV show that's going on. So um, stuff to look forward to. should be interesting. I don't know if um, I like the sound of that because I feel like that's going to go the way that... Didn't Agents of uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. try to do that? We're like, oh, we're going to talk about the, the Avengers, but, you know, then uh, what they end up doing, just like referencing it like really offhandedly or something? 
No, they actually piled on to the movies pretty good. I think oh, they, they? Yeah. Oh. I, I mean, it, it worked out pretty well for them. I mean, I think the big thing is if you tie it into a movie, well, if you tie it into the, into the MCU and yet you never see any of the people in the MCU or you don't get any of the people from the TV show into any of the movies, it, it really kind of fudges it a little, a little bit. Uh, but I don't know. I, I'm kind of interested. I, d- I just do it. Did a quick pull up. I didn't actually see this trailer, uh, but just looking at the list of names on here, uh, in terms of who the mutants are that will be floating through this thing, it's Blink. Uh, she was actually in Days of Future Past. Uh, I can't. I can't remember who played her. Uh, it was a young, young Asian actress, uh, but I don't think it's the same one from from that show. Uh, you also have Polaris, who is very similar power set to Magneto. She's pretty. She's been around for a long time, been in and out of the X Men books quite a bit. Uh, rumored at some point that she was uh, one of Magneto's kids. Uh, and then Thunderbird, who is he's kind of a native Native American mutant, and he was one of the, he was an old school member of the X Men, like back from the eighties. So. It's actually kind of kind of interesting that they're actually pulling some you know lesser lesser well known people, which are probably easier to get the rights to, frankly. Uh, but it kind of goes along with the idea of they're trying to get deeper into the uh, I guess the pantheon of Marvel to try to pull out more more folks for different properties, uh, which is pretty you know, pretty smart. They've got a huge catalog that they can work off of, and reportedly Stan Lee will make a cameo in the pilot, which you know sort of is the official stamp. And I think. I'm trying to verify it right now. Yep, the first di- the pilot is directed by Brian Singer. So that tells do? me they're taking it pretty seriously. What has Brian Singer done in the past? All the other X Men movies. Oh, fantastic! Okay, you're not allowed to talk for five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's it, and like you said, Jay, I think they're they're really trying to you know at least pay homage to a lot of the because there's so many characters in in the Marvel universe and. You obviously can't give full feature films to all of them, but I think this does kind of give them the opportunity to kind of inject them, at least give them some screen time in one form or the other. And, and for the diehard fans who may want to see these, you know, kind of offshoot characters that are lesser known, it's a it's a good opportunity to kind of get them in there. So I, I think it should be good. Um, you know, hopefully it plays out well. And, and like you said, there's there's tons of these popping up. Well, do you think that this is maybe a launch pad for if these are really well recepted for, you know, a one-off movie or something? Uh, I, I don't think so. They usually don't, usually things that do well on TV don't translate usually really well to the big screen. But what I, what I think Marvel could do and do very well is actually have like brief cameos or like kind of one-off scenes with folks from the TV show into the movies. And, and if you did that, it would, you would not necessarily need to bring the movie stars into the TV world. Like, I, I think, I think that kind of stuff would be really easy, particularly with uh, like the Netflix stuff, uh, you know, assuming all legal, all legalities aside, you know, as long as there were no contractual problems or anything like that, it would be really easy to have uh, like daredevil iron fist, as much as I hate him, Luke Cage and uh, Jennifer Jones, all hang out or deal with somebody like um, either Spider-Man or, or really Doctor Strange because they operate with him in the comics, Doctor Strange specifically quite a bit. In fact, I, if you look at a little map of, there's like a pretty, uh, I saw a pretty cool fan map of New York City where you looked at where all the superheroes live and work. There's a few, they tend to cluster around each other. It's kind of funny. So 
the guys on the Netflix series, the defenders, they actually work pretty often with uh, Dr. Strange. So if they ever make another Dr. Strange movie or they have him bring, they could come into a scene with him to help, uh, you know, like save the day or for like a, a fight or something like that, you know, with some other character that, that would actually be pretty, a pretty baller way to do it. I think. And it would be very small, very understated. And I think it would probably work pretty well. See, I bring up good points. You do um, get two or three a week. That's true. Eventually. Um, but yeah, so it, it's, it's good stuff. And, and kind of like you, you were talking about before, um, but you know, this, this is maybe not a, a movie launch, but uh, one interesting thing they're doing is another Marvel thing that's coming out is uh, Inhumans. And there was actually another teaser trailer. Again, it was pretty, pretty light on content. It was kind of a uh, title card with a lot of audio dialogue going in the background. But uh, so Inhumans is um, another part of the Marvel universe. Um, and it basically follows the story of humans that were, basically genetically engineered or, or modified uh, by an alien race to give them unique superpowers. And I believe, and I'm, I'm not familiar with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but I believe they were actually mentioned a bit in Agents they're, of S.H.I.E.L.D. But they're they're actually heavily, appear. heavily based on, yeah. I mean, they're, they're d- going to be tackling the Inhumans storyline from a very different angle, but the Inhumans take a big part of, I mean, one of the main characters of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is an Inhuman. Um, so yeah, but I, I think they are going to try to be careful on not making one rely on the other too much because of the fact that you know Agents of Shield has not gotten the the highest ratings out there and and uh, you know is is kind of probably on its last legs, but has gotten but renewed did, for another season. It, yeah, I was about to say just got renewed for a fifth season though. Yeah, and this one's kind of interesting because um, and the reason I brought up your point, Bate, is that uh, so they're actually going to be showing on September first in IMAX. Uh, they're basically sticking episode one and two of this new series together, and they're going to be showing it um, in the IMAX, so in the movie theater, obviously. Uh, and then on September 26th, uh, this is on ABC is where it's going to be airing. Uh, the show will begin um, every Tuesday uh, once a week. So 26th will be episode one, and the following Tuesday will be episode two. So in a way, it's not a movie per se, but they are trying to kind of launch it, like a, do an actual like you know a launch with this IMAX viewing of the first two episodes, kind of get people hyped up for you know watching the entire series. Uh, looks like it's going to be slated for eight weeks, so eight episodes total. Um, and the uh, IMAX run, like I said, starts September 1st and is going to run for two weeks. So not not out there for a long time, but uh, I've never quite seen this before. They've actually you know, used a theater to kind of do a launch of the first couple episodes of a TV show. It's, it's an interesting uh, marketing ploy. Do you know what time on Tuesday? Say that again? Do you know what time on Tuesday, uh, what slot will be taking? Oh, I'm not sure. Well, it's September 1st. I don't think they've, they've released uh, show times or anything like that. So oh, okay. it's off. Alrighty. But yeah, so that that should be interesting, and and like I said, if you want to check out the trailer, if you're familiar, you're not going to see much. Like I said, it's basically a title card with um, the characters talking in the background, but uh, it sounds like if you are a, a fan of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you've probably heard about these guys quite a bit, so it should be uh, should be pretty cool to see how they tie together. And this is like the fourth trailer we've gotten for a Marvel-related television series in like two weeks. <laughs> Yeah, they're they're going crazy with it. It's it's lots of things popping up. I mean, like I said, uh, Fox has got the gifted. Um, ABC's getting uh, Inhumans. So kind of like the joke before, you know, everyone's getting a, a Marvel show for their respective networks. So yeah, because we're know. talking about Cloak and Dagger, and then the the Defenders mm-hmm. trailer over the last couple of weeks, and yeah, and no, there's one more coming. Is it too much? Do you think? Do you think that we've become oversaturated with 
you know, these kinds of TV shows and movies. Yes, that this yes, could be yes. There, there are twelve. There are like twelve thing. superhero movies a year. Yes. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You go see one movie, you're like, oh, okay. Well, the other superheroes next week. So. Uh-huh. Um. But yeah, the the other one that uh, I caught wind of. There's no trailer for this one yet. Um. But uh, Donald Glover is making a Deadpool a, like adult animated series. Um, yes. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, we'll see on that one. I think it's gonna be uh, ten episodes long, so you know, pretty standard fare. And it's gonna be on uh, FXX, which is kind of the sister station of FX. They do a lot of comedy stuff, so uh, hopefully, it, hopefully, it can live up to the comedy, you know, of, of Deadpool. Well, normally, I think that everything that Don Glover does is is really good. Um, so it it should be good. Is he like producing it in any way, shape, or form, or is he just acting? No, he's the producer, and his brother is also the executive producer. Fucking yes, dude. He has a really great show on the... I think it's FX proper called Atlanta that he did a really good job on. So he was on Community, too, I think, for a little bit. So, you know, fantastic roles that he's done. Yeah, and I I imagine they'll probably try to tie us in with uh, the release of Deadpool, you know, the live-action movie, because this is airing uh, sometime in 2018. No no specific dates on this yet, but uh, it's, it's going into production, so it... And hopefully it should be good. I, I probably I probably watch that one if it, if it hits the humor pretty well. So we're gonna start taking bets to see if we think that there's gonna be mentioned the animated series in the t- in the no movie. Better. That that or what you'd get is a uh, there, there'd either be a mention a physical sighting of an of a animated <laughs> character talking to the live action Deadpool, or you might actually have Ryan Reynolds like guest shot it, do a guest voiceover in the in the uh, in the TV series. I can imagine him sitting on the couch watching the cartoon, you know, in the suit, <laughs> in yep. the movie. No, I totally. Yeah, no, it'll it'll happen. Holy so yeah, that, that's pretty good stuff. So yeah, that's a lot of a lot of Marvel stuff coming out of, of the, the movie verse there. Like Zell said, we're, we're pretty much flooded with the stuff. So you know, lots to keep your eye on. Um, stuff spread out pretty much for the rest of this year and pushing in 2018. So you know, if you're a Marvel fan, you will have lots of content to digest over the next year or two and probably moving forward. Now, another big one that we uh, we didn't mention uh, last week, and I think if you actually looked in the show notes, you, you probably got the link to the proper trailer, but uh, we didn't get to talk about it because it hadn't come out yet. So Blade Runner 2049, uh, sequel to the original Blade Runner, uh, we got to see its new trailer and whew, get hype. Like it, it looks pretty cool, man. I mean, I know you're you're looking forward to this one too, right, Jay? Yeah, I am quite a bit. The the trailer was pretty solid. I mean, there is a lot going on in that thing. Um, I do like the fact that they don't entirely give the plot away in the uh, in the trailer. I think I think some people are learning that that's maybe better to not do with some of these movies. Uh, that being said, I'm curious to see if Jared Leto's character is the big bad or if he is. Um, more of a, a device or a means to get to the big bad or get to the real question that they're trying to get after. Sort of like how uh, Terrell was in the in the first Blade Runner movie. So I, I'm kind of curious to see how the, how that all kind of flows out. But it looks really good, and there's a lot of very heavy tones and callbacks to the movie. Uh, kind of interested to see how how this is going to uh, going to unfold. Yeah, I like that uh, the opening shot when they come in over the the, the, you know, the building that, that you know debuted in the, the beginning of the first movie, and they kind of have similar overtones to the music and the sound effects they're using. So they it calls back pretty heavily to the original, and it was, you know, even though I've seen you know the original fairly recently, it was it was pretty nostalgic, and I think that they'll probably pay pretty good homage to uh, 
to the original. Were you getting a bit of a uh, Ghost in the Shell feel to it? Some of the some of the stuff they were using kind of had a similar feel, like the holograms and the yeah. and stuff. Well, I, I mean, I, I you, you do, but the the reality is anything that looks like dystopian or cyberpunk futury was almost directly related to the original. I mean, straight mainline DNA back to the original Blade Runner. And uh, I think Ghost in the Shell is probably not that much different from that, both the anime and the movie, really. But they've definitely, I mean, there's only so many ways you can show, like, floating blimps and holograms around buildings and a lot of people in with rain and, like, leather overcoats. <laughs> so it, that, the, the thing I thought was kind of cool about it was they do show a lot of different environments, uh, whereas you pretty much had a really gritty urban uh seen pretty predominantly at night i think pretty much all at night uh for the original blade runner movie and this one definitely takes you to a, a wider variety of um of environments uh to include a desert you know the snowscape a farm uh, and a variety of other variety of other locations so ca- kind of interested to see how this is going to because uh, they're, they're alluding to some serious catastrophe that happened to an already very bleak future uh, back in the original Blade Runner. Something has happened in the interim from that to this. And the best, my best guess right now is that there was some significant, uh, if not uprising or emancipation of replicants between the two, uh, between the two time, the, the two movies. And there is something that will upset the balance uh, between that uh, the the two the two sort of sides of the two beings that is what a, that's what Officer K aka Ryan Ryan Gosling is trying to figure out throughout the course of the movie. Uh, I, I figured it's fifty fifty whether he's a Blade Runner or I correction a, a replicant. So I'm not really sure how this is going to go. <laughs> uh, but uh, I did find it interesting. You actually got to see a replicant being born. It looked like he was getting squeezed out of a tube tube of gogurt, which was kind of icky, but. <laughs> It, it was a thing, yeah. Um, but it, but again, I think Jared Leto is playing the the crazy, creepy guy again. He does that very well. Uh, so look looks pretty good. Looks very solid in terms of uh, just what they're bringing to it from a, cin- a cinematography standpoint. Yeah, I'm pretty much agree with what you said there. It's it's it, it looks real good. Um, you know, if they can kind of capture sort of the same feel and tone of the original and and updated a bit, I think it'll do quite well. I'm I'm pretty excited to see. Uh, what it looks like, and particularly where they take the story, I think that there's a lot of open-endedness to the original, um, a lot of unanswered questions and things that were, you know, pretty heavily implied but never confirmed. I'd like to see kind of where they take that with with this one, particularly since you know the Harrison Ford character is is in the film. Um, at some point, he obviously meets up with uh, you know the new guy, and then things blow up, and it looks exciting. But uh, I am kind of curious <laughs> to see what they what they do. Uh, with him, if that's ever actually verified, or if they still leave it up in the air for audiences to decide. So it should be good. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if in the course of the investigation, there's a lot of these questions answered, because I don't think they're planning. Well, I don't know. It's Ridley Scott. He's kind of half crazy. Um, I'm not entirely sure that they're planning this as like a, a new run of movies, or if this is like a just a, like a revisit or something like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see if they actually kind of tie it up, or if it's going to be, you know, continuing on with more of this so yeah we'll see okay so i think we're pretty good on on movies and film there because uh, lots of stuff coming out we'll we'll have a lot of things to cover um with that moving forward but one thing i do want to move on to is zell's vr corner where he's going to give us an update about the eye tracking stuff we talked about last week oh um 
It was uh, that they are going to actually have prescription lens inserts for the uh, eye tracking uh, things so that you can actually get, uh, you know, not need glasses while wearing your VR headset and getting eye tracking, which is kind of cool. It's still 220 bucks though, so. Oh, holy crap, for what? Are they making it out of gold? <laughs> no, it's the latest and advanced technology to, you know, watch realistic porn. Let's be honest. That's what everybody <laughs> wants, right? It's so that they can track wh- where you're looking. Is that for the lenses themselves or for the, the tracking software? What do you mean? It's $200. Oh, uh, the, the $220 is for the eye tracking addition to the HTC Vive. Mm, okay. So you, uh, we were talking about them last week. They they actually you put them inside the Vive uh, headset um, between uh, your eyes and the, the lenses, and, and it does its thing. Wait, so it's hardware? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, no. Jesus Christ. Now, because I was kind of looking at it after the fact, you said, "Oh, they're having prescription inserts." I was kind of looking at the original model, and it actually does look like um, it fits kind of a standard eyeglass lens. So, do you have to like purchase special lenses from HTC for this, yeah. or is it? Uh, well, it's like... not HTC; it's a third party. It's not, oh, okay. It, you know, this is one of the many vendors that signed up to make hardware for that connects to the HTC Vive. And it is, I do think you buy the prescription lenses from them. Wait, so okay. you send in your prescription and they make special lenses for you and... Yeah, well, I mean, you, you just, the, the prescri- your prescription's like in numbers. You don't actually have to, like, send them your glasses or anything. Okay. okay. So do we have a count on how much money you can actually strap to your face now if you get an HTC Vive? <laughs> um, with all the add-ons, you know, maybe maybe a grand now. Jesus so you got you got your your headset, you got your inserts, you got your special uh, lenses, and you've got your test headset with the wireless attachment on it. Oh <laughs> yeah, that that can add a couple hundred actually. Yeah, we're probably twelve hundred. <laughs> oh, it's wow. just a freaking PC. No, then you get a Hololens, which you can buy for I think three thousand dollars. Oh, what? That's that, that's that a standalone PC. The Microsoft Hololens that is a standalone PC that oh, you strap dude, that to your thing face. Looks gnarly as all get out. It's and, the AR thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's like three thousand dollars. Yeah, dude, that thing looks pretty righteous. There's actually some pretty cool stuff I've been seeing kind of floating around um, with uh, the Hololens being used in medical stuff, where it's tracking like instruments in surgery, and it's like giving them precise angles and stuff, and it's overlaying the angles so they can see like you know I'm going into this guy's spine at the proper angle and, and that sort of thing. So, you know, we we might actually see because Microsoft loves to create really cool hardware that's great for everything except actually gaming because no one can afford it. Um, I think that this this AR stuff could actually be quite useful for for other stuff like medical and teaching and stuff like that. So uh, that's another one that I'm I'm watching, not because I think I'll ever actually own one, because I don't think it'll, in any reasonable amount of time, be something that you're going to be seeing for a gaming platform. But uh, just for general usefulness, I think the the Hololens and similar products will be will be pretty cool to watch and, and see what they're doing with. So kid played Minecraft on it blew my mind. On on a only only tangentially re- related note, uh, I have actually used uh, sets of, you know, for lack of a better term, goggles that overlay AR for uh, very, very specific sort of applications and purposes for navigation while on flight. Uh, they, they work really well, and they were actually derived from uh, work that people did on downhill skiing uh, downhill skiing goggles. So there, there's a lot of goggles out there. This is, may, may surprise you, but they track your line 
uh, and your your navigation down a slope on your like a heads up display on your on your goggles. We've used some for uh, like in flight uh, free fall parachuting, uh, and that actually works out really really well when you're uh, opening up at a pretty high altitude and you're and you're using that to navigate. Uh, it's it's really really handy. I can absolutely see a variety of AR products coming out uh, with practical applications, f- probably faster than VR can, because it's because the technology is basically there. It's really what you want it to do and what you want it to display. But uh, I am kind of interested to see how this kind of kind of continues to develop with that, though. Well, hey, what is it? Is it like in the like in all the the spy flicks where it's like you know you're looking down at the ground, you're falling at 120 miles an hour, and it's like you got like something going across the class. And it's like you can land here and you cannot land here. Otherwise, you're gonna get no, it's not quite like that. It's imagine oh. uh, what well, you get. Like uh, let's see, we had an altimeter, wind speed, airspeed, uh, oh, a couple of like, you okay. had a couple other things, but what it really had was navigation points, like in in three dimensions. Oh, like it had stuff so, marked out. Right. So basically you're flying towards the carrot, you know, as you, oh, as you navigate down. Dude. It sounds like it's getting, <laughs> for, for lack of a better example, the, the kind of information you'd get from like a, a hot in a video game for, for that sort of thing. Where you oh, that's, see a, little... that's exactly what they make it out of. Yeah. I mean, in uh, fact, we, uh, like we recommended that they go talk to like dice or somebody like that to, to figure out like different visual cues uh, that they get from people. Uh, or the visual cues they're trying to bring up. Uh, that that was one of our recommendations back to the test team. Wow. And that makes that makes a lot of sense because I mean you you've got these game designers that have particularly like Dice is a good example. Um, the FPS games in particular have kind of really nailed this down where they've really honed the the heads up display so it's as efficient as you can possibly get and to provide all the necessary information you need in the right part of the screen. And I think that. Talking to people who have had a lot of experience, you know, uh, producing stuff like that, particularly for you know combat or uh, you know uh, flying or, or anything like that, that's that's going to be really useful, I think. And I it makes a lot of sense to talk to them because they they're going to know probably a lot better, and then you try to figure it out yourself from scratch, you know. So that's good to hear. That's that's really interesting, and I think we'll see. Uh, like you said, a lot of really cool applications coming out with this. I don't know how much of them will be for for gaming because I don't think your average Minecraft player is going to afford to buy a HoloLens to play on their table, but uh, for other applications, I think this is probably a pretty hot piece of technology to keep your eye on. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll link you guys a uh, something in the uh, in the Skype chat so you can kind of see what I'm talking about. For sure. Sounds good. Oh, there are pictures of it. Yes. Okay. So another, another thing that popped up, and this is uh, coming out of HBS Airbrain Schemes. So they're the guys that did uh, the Shadowrun games. They did... Uh, Necropolis. Um, so we've talked about them quite a bit in the past. And one of the, the products that they've been working on is uh, Battletech, which is a uh, turn-based kind of uh, up-in-the-air uh, strategy game. So you've got your, I think, kind of like MechWarrior, but in a, like a turn-based uh, sort of system. And uh, they released a new trailer, which looks freaking awesome. Like, it's it's really cool looking. Much It looks much cooler than I thought it was going to, to be honest. I kind of expected something a little more uh, simplistic, but yeah, this this looks badass. I, I know Jay obviously uh, took a look at it, but you guys look at this trailer for, for Battletech? Yeah, I li- I'm the one who pasted it in the list. As, as, they, as they scramble to, to pull up the link. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so so what, what did you think, Sal, since you obviously didn't find the link? I mean, it's been like... It, I haven't played like a mech warrior type game in like 15 years or something. 
it's going to be, you know, it's, it's really, I don't even have a good frame of reference for it anymore. Um, but uh, it's it's definitely something I want to try, especially after trying, you know, the, the previous, uh, you know, couple of Hairbrain Schemes games. Yeah, the, the thing that is most, um, most sort of compared to is like XCOM 2 in terms of the like the style of battle play the, the style of play because it is turn-based but it, it's pretty in-depth so the other thing i linked you guys we can put this in the show notes there's about 55 minutes of live game pay, play footage with uh dave mccain and mitch gettleman kind of going one-on-one with like a formex on formex uh, and they go into a lot of the details about just how the combat works and you get to see it real time as they're talking through it and fighting each other and it is uh quite good uh i i was like I, i've gotten a couple of feeds from them off to the side uh, and, and so i've been seeing some of their products they, that they've been that they've been putting out at least some of the uh the images and things like that but that footage from their from their gameplay which they released literally like two days ago so probably i think i think some of the things in the trailer were f- might have for all i know might have been from that that uh that live stream they did but they actually did that on live stream and it was really good. Uh, so there, there's a couple other key pieces of, uh, of news in there right now. They're looking at a, I think a June beta release, if I'm not mistaken. So that should, should be pretty interesting. And I'll be able to let you guys know what my initial impressions are. But right now, everything I'm seeing is it looks, it looks really good. And what I was amazed by in the, the full up gameplay footage was the amount of small detail that flowed really well into the, uh, you know, into the game. And they really do take, take a lot of heavy, heavy, heavy uh, influence from the tabletop style. And they've adapted it, I think, very smartly. They talked about things like, um, so it was traditionally on the tabletop, a hex based system, you know, so facing your mech and then how you moved it through the hexes on the map, that was a large part of the game. Well, they've kind of, they've had it, they changed that for a couple of very interesting reasons that they go into on the, uh, on the, on the live stream video. And it's, it's pretty, it came up with a pretty fluid system and you have to do, there's a lot of choices that you make. You have to juggle things like heat, uh, environmental conditions, pilot condition, all kind of stuff like that. But it does so in a way that's, that looks to me to be fairly, uh, fairly fluid. So it looks great. Uh, they've got a pretty cool soundtrack going. They get some really good voice acting in it. And uh, I don't know. So far, I'm, I'm actually really, really happy with the progress they've made. I'm really looking forward to the game, getting my hands on the game. But highly recommend you guys check out that uh, you know that 55 minutes or so of gameplay footage. They, also this week, they or last week, they released a full No Kidding uh, live stream dev blog where they were taking questions from folks on Twitch. Uh, those are usually very entertaining, by the way, because they're, they're often depending on what time of day that they did it. If they did it in the morning, they're usually sober. If they did it in the afternoon when it's about quitting time, there's, there's a good chance there's alcohol involved. But it's they, what, they are entertaining, but they're really, really good insights on how how games, are made, how games are made, or at least how they make games in terms of like the background components and why certain decisions are made and why trade-offs are made in certain ways. So it's really, really kind of a neat, uh, neat kind of behind the scenes live stream. Yeah, Mitch is absolutely hilarious in those live streams, and he—it's he, really like Chase said. There's no bullshit. They're—they're they're pretty upfront about you know this is the way it is. You know, they ask someone asks a question like, no, we're not doing that because it's—it's it's well outside our scope what we want to do. You know, we—if we wanted to do everything, we would—we wouldn't get anything done. So I mean, they're—they're—they're they're, they're very honest and upfront with it. It's—it's it's quite refreshing to see it. So you know, real good stuff. You should definitely check it out. 
Um, so Jay, I'm not as as in depth with the details of, of BattleTech as you are, but like, is it? Uh, it's multiplayer, obviously. The option in multiplayer is it just one v one, or can you have groups of people playing? How does that work? I I think it's I think this may be one v one right now because you got to remember they're they're doing us off of a a pretty small budget. It's only I think somewhere a little over three million dollars. Uh, so there and you know a large chunk of that came from Kickstarter, but they fronted uh, you know a little over a million. So it, it is, I think it's one V one right now in terms of, so it's like Lance on Lance, like a Lance is like four max. So it's uh your squad basically against the squad. Uh, so it, it wouldn't surprise me that if they had a, a chunkier budget or if they were wanting to really expand for, if this does well and they want to put a second, second version of it out that they may expand the multiplayer stuff. Cause they get a lot of questions about multiplayer. That is, that is a big thing that they get asked. Is it, uh, you know, how, how in depth can they make the multiplayer? The, the campaign itself is, pr- is procedural to, to some degree. There's a, there's a large story component, but there's procedurally generated missions that you can continue to just go on and go on and go on, uh, which is, is kind of neat. Uh, one of the other things they did is, dur- if I'm not mistaken, during multiplayer, you have everybody has full access to everything. And it's sort of on a point by system for whatever you want to put in your form X. So you, you're not, you're not going to find yourself in a massive disadvantage with somebody who has like pimped out their stuff and like pl- been playing for several months. In theory, your gear ratios will be very, very similar. That being said, they probably have a lot more experience on what works, what may work better for the type of mechs they want to do or how to operate in certain types of maps. So there's going to be a lot of built-in experiential advantages, but it, there's not going to be, it doesn't sound like anyway, there's not going to be a, like a gear or kit uh, gulf between new and old players. So is it the the loadouts, I guess you would call it for the mechs, is it something like what Call of Duty does with their pick 10 system? Nah, not quite. So it, okay. it, the, these mechs um, are, they have hard points on them, right? So you, within some limitations, you can swap certain things out or make minor trade-offs, but you can't, you can't make like game-breaking builds with them. So one of the things that MechWarrior Online does, which is it's a pretty popular MMO that in uh, their Piranha Games puts that out, and they're actually sharing this with HBS, like all their skins and a lot of their graphical uh, components to make the two games not compatible, but uh, to kind of share the battle BattleTech universe well. And mostly that's done because Jordan and Mitch created BattleTech, and they're really doing it as a solid for them. They don't have to do it. Uh, so what? What they do in that game is it's much more customizable because it's built around the current rule sets in, in the tabletop game. So you can basically take the chassis of a mech and then strip it down to almost nothing and then rebuild it as long as the engine and the weight weight can hold it and the power capability is there and all, all this other, other kind of stuff. You can turn it into, you know, like you can take a missile boat and turn it into nothing but lasers or something like that. In this one, they're playing with a slightly different rule set, which is it's based on the timeline of the game. So the, the way the game runs, it's very much along a timeline, an actual like in-game timeline. So 3027, 3025 or so, that's where this game takes place. And that's a year, like 30, the year 3025. That was kind of the classic era, era when Battletech, the game kind of came on the scene in terms of their game timeline that affects like rules, technology, the mechs and stuff like that. And then it kind of strips, uh, they're up to like 31 
20 something now. So it's, um, it's a pretty ingenious way of doing kind of like of, tr of tracking how they modified or added mechs and technology and rules to the tabletop game. It's based on the era of the, of the game's timeline. So this is in a very earlier one. So there's less customization in terms of your weapon loadout, but there are some, some RPG type type elements that, that are somewhat similar to XCOM where the individual pilots that you hire, they can have different sort of perks or advantages that, that they can bring to the table uh, that are, you know, sort of, sort of built through a, uh, a progression system uh, over the course of the game. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I mean that sounds pretty badass, man. I think that's something we'll we'll hope people to kind of maybe get together and do some some recording of. I think that I I'd enjoy playing that kind of game again. It's been a long time, and like I said, the quality of the game is looks way better than I expected. Not to you know trash on an HPS at all. They they make good stuff, but I was just I was quite impressed with what well, they came up I, with. I mean, to be honest with you, I I was too a little bit. I mean, I've seen their work before, but if you look at like Shatter One Shatter Run Returns, that's like. Yeah, that would have been a badass game like in 2000, 2001. Right. And, it, you know, it it plays very well. It's a really well done game, but it doesn't look like that's something that, that should be popping on current gen technology. Whereas this game clearly looks like it, it, it can. And like I said, when you watch the, the actual gameplay footage, it's amazing. Like the, the combat effects are phenomenal, like really, really well done. Uh, you know, all the way down to it, when a mech is overheating or when it's starting to get hot and when it's overheating, it's, uh, you can tell, and it doesn't look cheesy. It looks really, really well done when it's taking damage in certain areas, the damage reflects on the mech it, and it's, it is really, really sharp looking. And then the models themselves for each individual mech, they are absolutely bomber. You would, you would absolutely not know that this was a, you know, a studio of probably, I think, I think they got about 25, maybe 30 people employed over there, uh, up in Renton, Renton, Washington, up in, you know, basically the suburb of Seattle. You would not know that this is a small independent game house. You would think that this is, this is a pretty high quality activity. Yeah. I mean, their, their previous games were, they, they were well done, but you could tell they were done by an indie developer. It wasn't like a massive, you know, studio, but this, this new stuff is like, Oh wow. Like you guys are really up to your game. So I'm, I'm very impressed with that. And, and everything you're describing with the fitting system and then that sort of thing, I, I live for that stuff. I love, you know, that kind of level of, of detail and planning going into, into your, your character and, and your, your team and whatnot. So really cool stuff. I'm looking forward to this quite a bit now. Yep. Hey, just so you're tracking, I, I pasted you guys over the, uh, the live stream link. Uh, so it's, it's off, it's on YouTube now from uh, no, the no guts, no galaxy channel, by the way, really cool, really cool uh, media presence with those guys. Uh, they put on a pretty good show. It's all battle tech focused mostly, but uh, they do host them on these, uh, on these live streams. So I, I, uh, I put that over. We can drop that in the show notes as well. All right, man. Sounds good. Yeah. Lots, lots of good stuff. I do suggest people take a look at it. It's, it's really good to, to hear from these guys. They're, a bunch of really cool dudes and they, they do some good stuff. So be sure to check those videos out. Okay. So moving along to kind of one of our, our bigger topics for the evening. Um, so uh, as you know, we, we tend to kind of touch on some CCP products. I know that project Nova has kind of been a thing that's, you know, been kind of buzzing around lately and uh, Rotati in particular has actually been much more forthcoming with information than he has been over the last year and a half with, you know, what's going on and their thoughts and stuff. Um, and so he's actually been kind of bouncing back and forth between the Discord channel and the uh, official forums, kind of posting some information. 
and this has been going on for a couple of weeks. The last two weeks are probably the, the kind of the hottest bit of information. Um, but you know, it's it's been spread out and maybe not quite as accessible to everyone. So um, what I did a couple of days ago is I kind of compiled everything, um, found all the quotes, um, told people where where it was and, and and how to find it if they want to look at it for themselves. But um, and kind of compiled everything he was he was talking about and kind of did a breakdown of you know my personal thoughts on what he meant and. And what this means, that sort of thing. And that's actually available on our blog over at biomass.net. Uh, however, I did kind of want to go over some of the more recent stuff that came up in the last couple of weeks um, with you guys and kind of get your thoughts on it and, and your opinions and, and that sort of thing. We won't go too crazy with the speculation and, and uh, you know, with keeping time in mind, but I do kind of want to hear what you guys think and perhaps give a little bit of your own feedback and, and whatnot. So I'm going to pull up the list here. So on May 8th, that's kind of where we're going to start with this one. Uh, he did post in the Dust uh, Dust Veteran Discord server uh, in the Project Nova channel um, a screenshot. And I, I obviously can't show it to you um, with the recording, but the, it is available on the blog if you want to take a look at it. Um, and it was what appeared to kind of be like a Galente uh, heavy suit. And it had kind of this, uh, it was like black, but it had like these red lines running up kind of in the seams of all the armor and stuff. And he kind of posted it without comment. It was just like, Here's a picture, and then disappeared again. Um, but Thaddeus Reynolds was in the chat. He did point out that it does look very similar to uh, some concept art I did uh, a while ago for the, the Galente Heavy for a Dust Veteran Rewards uh, skin, kind of a, a Phoenix-themed skin, where it looks like there's kind of this fiery effect going up. Um, and I just thought it was kind of interesting. Um, I don't know if you guys saw the picture. Did you look at the blog at all? Yeah, dude, the one that Ritali posted is pretty fucking cool looking. Yeah, uh, it, and he didn't say if it's a skin or a, a, an effect. I don't know if it's like you know an active effect or anything like that, but it looks pretty badass. Either way, I mean, if it's a skin or an active effect, uh, that's really cool. I can't wait to see that. You know, if it does make it in game with all the, I assume there's gonna be like particles and like shit floating around it. Uh, you know, where it looks like it's burning or something. That'd be yeah, really have, cool. Have you seen the Unreal Four engine that? Particles everywhere. <laughs> it's like no, like they had. the only thing for Unreal I've seen was that little demo that they had, like, is uh, fucking Sonic running around the field or something. Yeah, no, Unreal supports particles quite well. There's there's all kinds of cool visual effects they can do. So, you know, this, this is kind of a cool thing. Um, not much. I'm not going to speculate too hard on it, but you know, it was it was pretty cool. I do suggest if you are looking for some cool cool screenshot stuff, go check out the blog. We do have it posted up there. Okay, so May 10th was kind of the, the big one. There was kind of a flurry of information he dropped. And I kind of broke it down into the related parts, and, and we'll kind of go through them one by one. Uh, so again, this was the uh, Project Nova channel um, in the Dust Veteran Discord. And so first thing is he said, sniper rifles are meant to be more of a marksman weapon or fire and move. No quick scoping, no prone. Uh, think Call of Duty, go uh, AWP. Um, so are any of you in here snipers? I, I, I'm not sure. Sniper. What is he... I used to snipe like you know I would do like a forty-two and zero on Manus Peaks when I could just you know <laughs> camp on a camp on a, a little peak there and just continually take pot shots, you know. So you were that guy. I was totally that guy. You you were a Manus Peak weasel. Okay. Hey, so when he says no Call of Duty or or whatever, is that like I don't want it to be Call of Duty no. or CS:GO is what he was comparing it to? The he CS:GO. Oh, he just said Call of Duty. Did I say Call of Duty? I'm sorry. Yeah, I, did not, I did not mean that. It's, um, yeah, CSO, or Counter-Strike, basically. I was about to say. And, and so I'm, I'm, the read I'm getting, and Darth might be able to elaborate a bit more on his intention, was it's more of like a DMR, where it's not where you're going to lay down and, and take, you know, a, a kilometer-long shot. It's more of kind of a on-the-move, you know, 
you, you, you zoom in, you take the shot, and then you, you keep going. It's not a, you're going to camp a spot for a long period of time. Is that correct? Uh, that's about that's about right. Uh, oh. And in fact, in the um, the FanFest demo we had, uh, FanFest before last, you had to scope in and wait a couple, like a second for your accuracy to be, you know, pinpoint. So it's not something, I don't know if that's changed or not, but it, it's sort of a, a mix between the op and hey, something as quick as that. Pokey, and, do you, do you uh, like, uh, when you play uh, World of Tanks, you know how you have like the, the aiming reticle? Like when you zoom in, <laughs> zoom in, and it takes a couple seconds for it to choke down, and that's kind of—I assume it's probably an effect like that. It's, yeah, it probably, it, it, does that make sense? Yeah, if you um, if you actually look at some of the footage uh, that was taken at that mm. fan fest recording, uh, if you when you see them scope in, there's actually two little arrows that appear on the left and right, and as soon as you scope in, they're on the far edges of the scope, and they kind of they kind of squeeze in, in the middle. Um, I imagine that's kind of what they're they're talking about with. Uh, you know, you've got to wait for those to kind of hit the center so you can actually get the true accuracy of, of what it's pointing at. So uh, okay. don't expect, you know, crazy quick scoping, you know, shots out of nowhere. It's probably more of a, you kind of have to be a little more deliberate and stop for a second or two and actually take the shot. And I appreciate that. It, that idea, that mix uh, seems to better fit or would hopefully better fit the kind of environments we would probably be playing on smaller ship interiors. Yeah, I mean, that kind of made sense to me. Um, I know people were always pushing for longer-range sniper rifles and dust. It, it had various issues with the way that the maps were designed and stuff, but that's irrelevant. Um, but for more of an urban-style combat, I think this probably makes a lot more sense. You don't think so? You sound concerned. No, 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 no. I'm just thinking. Well, give us your thoughts. I'm, I'm, I'm curious, because, I mean, I'm not a sniper, know, well, so I can't comment too much on it. Why, I, why. When you say... When you say sniper, it carries a certain connotation, and you know, I, I, I don't fucking know. Well, it's not technically. Well, I, again, I can't say for sure, but it was. It's classified as a precision rifle, quote unquote. So, okay, if you're hung up on that, that might that not actually be yeah the case. was that actually yeah was what I was a little hung up on. Okay, fair enough. Again, who knows? It could suddenly become a sniper rifle later on. But yeah, as it as it was, it was the Mimitar precision rifle, which sounds sexy as hell. It sounded uh, good in name and in um, practice. Well, they had the little sound too at Fanfest, didn't it? Oh, it had an amazing sound. Oh yes, it did. So, yeah, I think uh, in that footage, it was actually like a single round um, rifle to be loaded after each shot, which is yes. similar to the Ronin rifle, I think it was called, in Dust, where it had the yeah, single shot. So. No. Fuck that gun, dude. <laughs> so speculate, if you will, that might have been kind of a test run of, of how, would this, how would this gun actually operate with the single shot with the, the appropriate damage and stuff. But, uh, oh, yeah. you're a genius. Hmm? I said you're a genius. I didn't think about that. Uh, that, that that's kind of my guess um just oh, oh, yeah. ccp retali you're a smart smart man um and i i do want to kind of clarify before we continue on that remember all of this is kind of up in the air still it's obviously preliminary Absolutely. planning so these things that you're say, saying is just what their mindset is currently at but you know give feedback that's kind of why i wanted to compile this so people can read through easily and give feedback um you know either on on our website or on the forum post that i made uh linking to the to the blog post so uh don't freak out um just you know tell people what you think that's that's important and don't think that this is all set in stone so things could change 
okay, so the next point is, he said, we are honing our meta module drop suit progression. Current focus is civilian T1, T2 faction. Not copying Eve's system, but we're honing it. So kind of my initial read on that is it sounds sort of similar to what Dust was with the tier system. Um, civilian and then T1, T2 is kind of your, uh, you know, standard advanced proto sort of deal. And then faction would be like your fact war, um, maybe pirate style stuff, um, that sort of thing. Uh, maybe some differences, maybe not be a straight uh, power upgrade, because, you know, EVE is a little bit different with, like, T1 and T2. It's it's specialized. It's it's still objectively better in most cases, but it's it's not always straightly better. Um, so what are you guys' thoughts on that? I mean, do you, I, I was I was almost kind of thinking they were going to move away from a sort of power tier system, but what do you guys think? What do you mean by power tier? Do you mean, like, okay, your T1 is, you know gonna be just a little bit worse quote-unquote than your t2 which is gonna be worse quote-unquote than your faction yeah the idea that you've got a, a series of modules or weapons or whatever that are you know better than each other um rather than being kind of a side grade specialization sort of thing i don't really mind that i feel like for some for some things you kind of have to have okay this is better than that i mean you look at the the damage control module in e for example you know it the tech one uh version you know gives you this amount and then you have the t2 which is better for what it does and then you have the faction you know one that you know is the best if you will so yeah i think for certain things i guess armor plates would be something that i would say okay you probably should have something like that um and and maybe guns maybe guns i don't know i would think tech two for for guns would be where you introduce uh things like you know a burst assault rifle or uh whatever the other assault rifle was yeah, I think I would agree that modules probably make a lot of sense to yeah. have tiering. Um, it's the suits um, having power tiers I'm not so sure about, just because that did cause some issues. But again, the fact that he's referring to it as civilian T1, T2 in faction rather than just the standard advanced proto, uh, I can imagine that some things are changing. Um, obviously not very clear. This is, this is pretty vague, but you know, I, I won't pass judgment until I actually see exactly what they're talking about. But uh, you know, I, I'm kind of curious to see what what the details are on this one. No, I bet you anything, you know, calling it civilian T1 and T2 and then faction is is part of the uh, efforts to make the game, or what was it they said there, they were they trying to make the game more Eve or whatever? I bet, I bet you anything yeah. that that's what it is, and it's nothing more than a, uh, a naming thing. Possibly, yeah. I mean, consistency is always good, um, particularly if you're moving between the games. Um, we talked about that last last week as well. But uh, yeah, I think that that's that in itself is probably pretty fair. But uh, yeah, we'll have to see. Okay, so the next one is uh, we are considering the following drop suit progression from civilian to T3. I, I imagine T3. He probably means faction. Um, I don't. I don't think that he means like tactical cruiser kind of adaptability craziness. I think it probably just means faction um, as an upgrade process and not individual drop suits. And so my, my read on that one is kind of back to the whole power core idea that popped up uh, towards the end of dust where you have just a suit and then you put the power core in there and that modifies how much resources you have um, rather than having like a standard advanced proto suit, you'd have just the suit and then you have like a standard power core and an advanced power core and a prototype power core. And in Dust, that was more of a let's save on resources, but 
you know, it, it's kind of a wash either way, in my opinion, if, if that is indeed how it's working for, for the PC version. Um, resources probably aren't that much of an issue, but depending on how it's presented, it could make it a little more uh, easy to understand, I think, for, for players. So that's good. Um, but I think functionally, it's probably not too different than, than what we're used to. So what was that? That was that was trying to save save me from spending eight thousand in per suit and only have to spend X on a power core every time I die plus modules. Well, yeah, there's okay. there, there's some yeah. stuff to kind of to get to later that, that my thoughts on that one. But the idea in, in Dust was that there's only one suit and it's got the same slots no matter what because they they obviously kind of did the tier side thing where all the suits are the same slots, which was was pretty good. And the only thing really changing was the amount of resources you had to play with. Um, so instead of having an individual item for every single drop suit and all the variations within each tier, you could kind of condense it down into just modifying that one particular part. And it made it easier server-side. It was never implemented, but I think that was kind of the initial idea. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's kind of... That, that's my read on what they're doing. But, you know, again, it, it's a little vague as a lot of these things are. So we'll, we'll kind of have to see what the details are on that. I'm still not following. I, I I never could follow on that one. I think that was something I would have to like see in a, in a demo or something to be able to understand. So think of it this way. Think of you've got your suit, right? There's only yeah. one Caldari Assault, and it's got zero power grid and zero CPU. And there's like a particular slot for this module that's a power core. And the power core is like plus 100 CPU, plus 150 power grid, and you stick it in there. But it also like give me my slots? No, the slots are built into the suit already because oh, the, right. the slots are the same for all of them. Oh, yeah. Didn't we kind of do that with the slots right there at the end where we said, okay, fuck it, yeah, everybody yeah. has the, okay, 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 okay. Yeah, they're all the same. So so the power core is like a module that just added oh, resources, yeah, 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 but it was yeah, 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 unique yeah. to that. that yeah, 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 yeah. This makes sense. This makes sense. Okay, thank you. Which which could, could make sense, you know, depending on, on how it's set up and how it's presented. And I think that could simplify the perception of things at the very least. So, you know, that we'll, we'll, we'll see how that one goes. I, I think that if it does make it easier, then I'll support it. Um, otherwise, I'm kind of neutral on it. So it should be interesting. What are, would you have any reservations about that sort of thing? Well, or that sort of idea? Functionally, it seems like it's the same, if I'm reading it correctly. Um, instead of buying a separate suit, you're buying a different power core. Um, depending on how the resources are set up, and that's the next one we'll touch on, um, it could make more sense because everything is then a module rather than different kinds of suits. Um, so if you focus everything on the modules, that, that might make sense. Um, I can't really think of any negatives on that one, though. So instead okay. of navigating for different suits, I'm going to have to navigate for 40 different kinds of power cores. That'd be my only complaint. I mean, granted, I don't think the market menu will be as cluttered um, being on PC, especially if they adapted a, a market, I guess system like eve has where it's divided up into you know whatnot into categories i guess but what are your thoughts dara do you have any negatives that you have on that one uh no actually i i like the idea okay yeah i think that's i think it's it it could be a positive not just a neutral just kind of different way of presenting information so i I think i'm I'm pretty good on that one okay so this next one is is the big one um and again, I'm going to reiterate that uh, feedback is important. Nothing is set in stone, so don't freak out. Give your thoughts. Um, and so he said, combining PG and CPU into a single, uh, I think it's a power unit, but I think it means fitting unit. So the idea is instead of having a pool of CPU and a pool of power grid that each module consumes a different amount of each, you just have a number of fitting points and modules consume a certain number of fitting points, and that's it. Um, just a no single thing. resource. So 
thoughts on this one before I before I hop in? I I I don't like that. And maybe it's just because I'm used to Eve having PG CPU and whatnot. I no. Do you not like it because it's different, or do you have a, a specific reason for why you dislike it? I don't know. It, it kind of almost reminds me of... So the idea would be that you have 10 quote-unquote slots, or 10 points, say, to fit all your stuff on, correct? Right. Okay. Uh, well, fuck. I, it works for stuff like Call of Duty. I, I just don't know how it will translate to um just to, to something like nova but i mean i i, I could be wrong obviously but what is nova right now i think we decided it's just a it's just a trading card game right yeah yeah you're probably right it's an open so, world trading card game with so, elements. so what you're telling me is my table is going to be lined is going to be filled with all kinds of cards that we're gonna yeah i, I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know I think a part of me does not dislike it because it's different. I'd have to think about that a little bit more. Um, for me, it's it's a couple of things. So I I love the fitting, and I, I kind of mentioned this when we were talking about BattleTech before. Um, I like the theory crafting involved with fitting and trying to tweak everything to get kind of that perfect optimal fit. You know, like when you've like that 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 joy when you get the fit and like everything is like it. You know, zero remaining on both of them. You're like, yeah, like this is this is as good as I could possibly get it. You know, so that that was fun for me. I, I enjoy that level of complexity, that level of thought involved with um, with fitting the suit and planning it out, and you know, going, hmm, I need one more power grid to make this work. Um, if I swap out this, I can consume some some CPU that I've got space for and get that, or I can train this one skill to get like an extra couple points I need to make it happen. Um, the, that that element was fun. I I would kind of clump that in with kind of a, a, a intermediate to advanced plus for players. If you're you're more familiar with the system and you like to manipulate that sort of thing, it's it's really easy to not easy, but it's really interesting to to kind of mess with that. So that that element's pretty important to me. Um, on the flip side, I'm not really sure how complicated that is for new players. I've been playing eve for a while um i don't need more but i did play it for a while and i played dust obviously which is, is built on a similar system i never personally found it to be too complicated i'm not sure how new players when they came to the game how much they struggled with that or not uh so that's kind of probably the main plus i would offer that when you've got new players coming in it's it's one less thing to worry about it's just you've got this many fitting points this costs this many fitting points fill up your bar and you're done um, it's less involved with the balancing back and forth, but that again takes away from some of that added complexity that might be enjoyable for more advanced users. So, also for the record, for our massive listening audience out there, Pokey, he's got a like big ass spreadsheet <laughs> that's tattooed like a tramp stamp, and then he's got like code lines instead of barbed wire on his fucking bicep. So, yeah. for the average Joe, I would say. It can be overwhelming if it's not explained, which Dust did. When I say a horrible job, it does real disservices (laughs) to the things that are truly horrible in the world by equating it to that. So So, I I would just say you could make it as you can make anything as complex as you want if you explain it well enough and you you actually have some tools for the player. But uh, that was traditionally one of the things that was a beef in Dust was. It, what, once somebody explained it to you, it was actually pretty easy to pick up. But until until you either found somebody, because uh, you because 
for the love of God, you couldn't certainly go by any of the text in the game. But if you could actually find somebody to explain to you, it literally you could pick it up in five minutes. But it is, it is, it can be kind of overwhelming at first. But I mean, yeah, it kind of, kind of, you know, makes me think. Well, if the damn thing isn't broke, why, why fix it? Why try to make it? Why, why try to make it like every other? shooter out there i mean call of duty it's, has the same thing battlefield has the same thing plays. <laughs> i thought we were trying to make this different well because I, if if the idea is to and maybe this is just me maybe this is just my i've been you know riding this thing for however the fuck long this game's been out if the idea is to is to keep the game in the style of eve why do we need to go around and mess with Things like trying to keep the red fucking bar in between the lines and making sure I don't have more than 79 PG and trying to keep the fucking blue bar in between the lines. Is that really so hard to understand? Because yes, it was, it just was not helpful as far as a, as far as a new player experience, as far as explaining things to people. I think we can all agree on that. Eve is not so bad that Eve actually explains things to you. I, I, hmm. When it comes to the, go ahead. No, just kind of what I think I'm, I'm getting what you guys are saying is that it's not so much that the fitting system was a failure of the system, it was a failure of uh, proper tutorials or our new player experience where it's not hard as long as they explain it well, and if they explain it well, it wouldn't be a problem. Is that kind of the read I'm getting? Uh, yeah, sure. I, I, I don't think it's <laughs> I, I'm obviously grossly simplifying, well, but I'm just no, saying, like, I, I, I don't think it's, it, it's hard even if you don't explain it, but maybe that's just me. Well, but you're also a, a pretty... Uh, season, you know, player and stuff. So, you know, it might it might be easier for you, but the average player, um, and like Jay said, it, it wouldn't be unreasonable for people to feel a little overwhelmed if it's never actually explained to you properly, and it, it really I wasn't in dust. I, I, yeah, I guess so. Okay, go ahead, Darth. I was just going to say that uh, when Ratati says we're going to make Nova more Eve-like, to me, just gone off from uh, the discussions i've had that does not mean necessarily from a system standpoint that's to me that means um feel and aesthetics and uh lore that sort of thing just because eve has a fitting system this way does not mean we'll sacrifice eve like or eveness by changing that Not sure I feel about that, but uh, well, and uh, it kind of goes along with what he's been talking about previously. You know, it's like it's background context for the game, stuff like that. I, I, I think it, I think bait in a, in a, in a, his own particular idiom sort of uh, you know gelled it down. If you're gonna make if you're gonna make a shooter, okay, acknowledged. What kind of shooter are you gonna make? Is it going to be uh, more on the as I like to refer to the battle duty front version? Or is it going to be something different, or at least uh, more w- with with more depth? Uh, b- because that's really the uh, I-, I think the the clutch the clutch component of it. The the trick is, as Rat said, he really wants to. And, and frankly, uh, Rouge has said on many occasions back when I actually listened to either one of those two guys uh, that they that they just want to make a really good shooter first. What that usually tells me is that they want to make it a simplified shooter. They want to get the minute to, you know, if you think about it, Overwatch is is exceptionally good at just applying the, you know, shots on target and the skill sets required to bring the shots on target 
in the actual minute-to-minute gameplay. So what it sounds like they're doing is they want to build that first and then overlay things around it on top of it as they become more and more and more comfortable with where they're at on it, which is fine. The flip side of that, though, is for all of the negative things that Dust did, it really was innovative in several ways, or at least it was certainly novel in several ways compared to most of the shooters out there. And if they don't bring those things, I think what they're going to find is that they're in an incredibly crowded market already with in really, really exceptional offerings. And unless they're going to like literally go in there and just absolutely knock it out of the park uh, and put like, you know, I don't know, $500 million worth of ad budget behind this thing, that it, it's it's still going to be pretty small ball stuff. So I don't know. It, I'll be interested. Like I said, I, I've, I've definitely made peace with the fact that I'll be interested to see what they come up with. But I believe nothing until I see it in the next couple of years, maybe if they ever get that far. Yeah, and I mean, there's that added level of, of interest and complexity. I think um, as Jay put, and I think that's that is important because it, it was interesting. Like, the, I, I played Mag. Mag had a single resource. Um, it wasn't bad. Um, it was enjoyable. Um, but the dual resource was definitely a lot more interesting um, when I moved over to Dust. Uh, and not to mention, there are some advantages that come with that dual resource, particularly with the way that Dust systems work with like armor and shield. Um, with you know different kinds of slots, is that you've got a little more control in preventing certain player behaviors because you can tweak the way the resources um, interact with each other and in like the ratios they have. And you would lose that with um, a single resource fitting because you could have, you know, I just got resource and I could stack on shield and armor and now I'm, you know, a walking tank that the developers probably didn't really intend to do. And there's ways to get around it. I kind of detail that a little bit, but it's a little clunky. Um, and while it's easier to balance and design around a single resource, um, I think that despite the difficulty of actually designing it, it does give the developer a lot more control in, in the way things work and the way they should be working. And so you don't have weird issues where people start doing strange things and then you're scrambling to try to fix because you don't have the tools you need to kind of to tweak and work with it. So, you know, in, in my opinion, it's like you, you could probably make a single resource work. A lot of other games do it, but you're being like a lot of other games then. I think you've got... Uh, something kind of cool and interesting. And like Jay said, there were some things that dusted extremely well. Um, the fitting element was probably my favorite part of it. Um, just because, you know, I'm, I'm spreadsheet whore like that, but you know, it's uh spreadsheet weasel is probably the, the proper turn, but uh, um, you know, I, I, I like that part quite a bit. I think that was really interesting and unique and it would be a shame to see that go. And I think you could also have other ramifications in terms of balance and the developer's ability to kind of manipulate player behavior in a way that's that's helpful for the game. So that's kind of my, my two cents on it. This game cannot afford to be like every other game out there. It has, it has to be different. Otherwise, yeah, yeah. Jay's right, you will get the shit stomped out of it by every other shooter out there. Even the free-to-play ones that are, that are out there have uh, similar, you know, fitting quote-unquote styles. And yeah. I think the e the e fitting you know the e fitting system, if you will, set that apart and and you know like we said earlier, if you explain it, yeah, it's the stu- it's stupid easy to pick up on. And I think that as long as you ha- you explain the whole thing, if you explain how everything works, like you're talking to a fucking child, then yeah, you're you know people will be able to pick up on it. There there will be no complaints. Yeah, and, and I, I, I'd kind of like to hear the reason behind the thought to go that direction, um, because if it's just it's easier for new players, it's 
I kind of call bullshit on that because I think that, like you just said, they if you explain it well, explaining a single resource system isn't that much easier than explaining a two resource system. You just you know, <laughs> it's it's yep. just the second pool, um, and and so if there's another reason and in, in that isn't as obvious from the information we have, I, I'd love to hear it. But you know, I, I think it might be more of a negative than a positive to, to go that direction with it. So I do hope that they kind of reach for that one and go with um, a more traditional system. I think that that would, it's going to jive well with E players. It's going to jive well with dust players. And if you explain it well, it'll, it'll jive well with uh, everyone else who might be new to the, the sort of series. Okay. So moving along to the next one, uh, this is a great one. Uh, capacitor like mechanics to replace bandwidth. And he puts in parentheses, basically mana. Uh, so, if you're familiar with Eve, um, you understand what a capacitor is. It's kind of the central core of a lot of the stuff in the game. Um, but if you're not familiar, it would basically be a resource that you have in battle, and it's kind of this pool of energy, right? And, you know, abilities, equipment, stuff like that could draw from this pool, and it would deplete, and then it would recharge on its own over time. It, it's kind of like stamina for your equipment, so to speak. Um, I think this is great. Uh, this is something that Dust desperately needed for a lot of things. Um, cloaks kind of had their own capacitor. It, it worked pretty well for, for what it was. Um, but this would be like a central capacitor for, for everything. So, for example, if you've got your repair tool, um, and, and this is my, my uh, conjecture here, but if you get your repair tool, you can whip it out and you can repair someone. The act of repairing them is going to drain your capacitor, so you are kind of limited in how long you can do it. But, you know, it, it kind of gives you that option to, to, you know, use your resource in a way that, is you know beneficial for your play style and your fit and whatnot so what are your guys' thoughts on this i know that i think all of us here are pretty familiar with 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 uh capacitor mechanics do you do you think this is good it'd be really interesting to see how they how they did i think now the, the only thing that, that i got hung up on was would this replace like my running stamina too or my melee stamina or would would those two be separate entities darth do you happen to know if that's the thought they're going with <laughs> I couldn't possibly say, but okay. uh, but when I think capacitor, I don't think I don't think stamina. Okay, I've been asking people, and the general consensus is don't tie it to to capacitor. Stamina should be its own thing. Right. So. When you say capacitor, I think flux. <laughs> yeah, but stamina, you know, physical activities. Capacitor, more like bandwidth. That, no, yeah, that I can yeah, yeah. Don't even bring up the B word on this show, man. Well, why do you think we would want capacitor? Yeah, but, yeah but you're actually talking about two different things, though. Like, uh, well, I don't know, a like, different they, system they, that would replace the B word. Yeah, because <sighs> bandwidth and capacitor are already. This is this is their problem. It, it, no shit. This is actually part of the design problem that they've never squared. They're already operating in a universe with known terminology that means certain things and has certain connotations. If they would, they can do whatever they want with the ones and zeros and the numbers and the spreadsheets behind that, but they need to figure out a way to make the language common if they were going to operate within the Eve world. And if that's what Ratati is going for is more New Eden terminology and references and, and context that like, Capacitor is very, very specific to like power. No, 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 no. see, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't think that's the case. I, 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 no, I right. think it really just goes back to the thing. If you just explain the damn thing, no, 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 you're, you're not, you're not following me. What do you mean? Like, it, yeah, you can explain it, but that's literally like saying 
I don't know, rail rifles, a rail weapon in dust does this. And it means something entirely different than it would in on an EVE spaceship. Very simplistic format, but there's a there's common terms of reference to make it easier to pick up things, um, which would be really helpful if because ultimately anything CCP does, they generally want to draw to EVE or vice versa, one of their other products. But it makes terms of reference really easy to operate off of. So capacitor generally is about power output in, in an EVE spaceship. It's about how much power do you have to do things like run shields, regen shields, shoot beam weapons, all this other kind of jazz, uh, which in a suit could be things like if I run out of capacitor, I'm out of my ability to move. That would almost be like stamina because uh, you don't really have physical stamina in a suit. You have capacitor, you have power. And that was the whole idea being behind having like webifiers and nullifiers and stuff like that, that you could actually like freeze people or you could, dramatically lower their movement rates. Bandwidth was something entirely separate, which was a made-up mechanic that was designed to put different constraints and limitations on types of gameplay associated with Logi equipment. So, Capacitor is a made-up is made up as well. Well, well no, I, uh, my, my confusion was when with this is that, like in in uh, in Eve, for example, bandwidth is the number of it, it limits the amount of drones you can deploy from your ship. So I'm like, okay, it's deployables. That's what limits the number of deployables you can have. That has nothing to do with capacitor. So when they say we're replacing bandwidth with capacitor, I'm like, you're replacing a function of deployable drones with a function of how fat, how much I can run my shields. That that really confused me. I'm not sure how that works exactly with a pool of energy that's being consumed to deploy uplinks. I, I don't get it. And, and, you know, the deployable with bandwidth in, in, in dust was okay. It's kind of a roundabout way of doing it. You know, you're, you're limiting the amount of stuff you can drop on the ground. It's kind of like the number of drones you can launch, but again, that's not related to what I would consider to be a capacitor. And that's what I find confusing in the terminology. Like Jay said, it, it's inconsistent. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not against having the mechanic. I mean, don't get me wrong, Darth. I, I actually, I'm all for whatever, like, I don't really care what it is on the ones and zeros. You can always fence around with that stuff. That's, that's the thing that, you know, Reddit, Reddit threads are made of right there is like, you know, how far does a rifle shoot and how many, you know, doodads can you drop from your, from your suit on a given time? But it's, it's truly more of just clean up the language. Because uh, if you did that, you would actually find it a lot easier for people to jump mentally between the two games or within the rest of the New Eden universe. And, and I don't really know how Eve Valkyrie works, but it wouldn't surprise me they use a lot of the same terms, too. Uh, so just like I said, just the thought you've got a, like a very deep set of terminology, but that that's all I'm looking for is just consistency in language. Cause really what that does is it makes it a lot easier to give feedback to the devs on the rare occasions that they ask for and then desire to listen to it. I agree. Um, I agree. Yeah, I, I, I just I would like to see clarification on that because I, I feel like they're talking about two totally separate systems and using a, the same resource for separate systems. And it, it's very confusing to me and, and kind of vague. So that's one I, I do want to get clarification on. I think the idea of capacitor for, you know, using the active equipment like cloaks, scanners, repair tools, you know, even if you win as far as like active shield boosters, uh, that that's legit. That that makes sense to me for capacitor. But when you say replaces bandwidth, I get I'm very confused on what they actually mean by that. So would look would like to see some clarification on that one. Okay, so next one. Um, and this is where it gets kind of weird and interesting. So uh, he's talking about risk and reward, and he says risk and reward in the form of powerful consumables per battle. Now 
uh, this kind of changed with some of the other stuff he says later on, but this almost implies to me that it's something that is consumed at the end of the battle, but not necessarily per death. Um, may that be like a drop suit rig or something, whatever you want to call it. But the idea is that like, you're going to say, I'm going to stick a, you know, armor, uh, armor pump on my suit and it will, it will give me plus 5% armor repair for the duration of the battle. It's not consumed when you die. It's consumed at the end of the fight and that you can buff yourself up for the fight with this consumable. Um, but you know, you're going to lose it. So don't spend more on these buffs than you're intending to make back at the end of the fight. And that's kind of the risk reward that, you know, if you lose, you may not make enough to, to cover your costs. And that's, that's kind of my read on it. Um, again, super vague, but what are your guys' thoughts? That kind of sounds like the burn card system from uh, Titanfall. That's exactly what I thought of, but, on a, a, a full battle uh, scale rather than a per death. So I think burn card is consumed when you use it, right? Yeah, it's consumed when you use it, and then when you die, you equip a new one. I think. Um, right. I kind of, I just based on the amount of the amount of deaths you have in an average dust match, that's something that was only that something that was only used uh, like per like once per suit, so to speak, like once per life, if you will, uh, would have really, really, really thin value. Uh, whereas if it was for an entire match, that would actually be, you know, it's like, Hey, I, you know, like the Ishcom corporation is, this is their, you can select a perk or something like that to use during the fight that they offer you like a 5% extended range on your optimal or optimal range for your weapon or whatever. It's, that would be kind of cool. Like, uh, that I could see being relatively useful. I just think if you kind of went like, uh, like per suit per death, if you will, that would not. I don't think that'd be pretty cool. Now, if you had like an Iron Man mode that was sort of World of Tanks ish, where it was like there was no suit replenishment, it was like you're you know, you know one life and you're done. Far higher value. Right. <laughs> Far higher value. <laughs> well, and what's interesting about the implication of that is that if you are making decisions on what you're going to equip, um, however that may be limited, you're kind of saying I'm going to play this particular playstyle for the duration of the fight because. You know, if I'm going to stick extended That's range true. on assault rifles, you're going to want to keep fighting with assault rifles the whole match because your buff is specifically for that playstyle. So you kind of have to pick, am I going to pick a more well-rounded, I've got options to switch to, or am I going to super specialize for this fight into a particular playstyle and then build my, my rig kit or whatever around that? Read the thing again, please, Pokey. Uh, uh, Risk-reward in the form of power uh, powerful consumables per battle. Uh, okay. My next thought, like when you read that, uh, that kind of that kind of came to my mind. I've been playing a lot of Battlefield One recently, and every now and then in Battlefield One, you'll have like a pop-up message that'll say like a Tech Hunter kit or Flamethrower kit or whatever has been located, or so you go up and you pick up the thing, and it's a it's a role, quote unquote, that you pick up. So you pick up the role of the flamethrower, and you get the fucking flamethrower, and you burn people. That's what I thought of, and then once you die, you lose the thing. And I think the drops for those are like one or two per Magic Conquest. Um, that's what I thought of, but I guess kind of thinking through it, the, the, the card, the burn card system, if you will, kind of kind of makes a little more, more sense. Yeah, I, I think it's probably a more per battle sort of deal rather yeah, than something you're going to pick that. up and you're going to lose and die. Um, and like Chase said, that does add an immense amount of value to it because you're, you're, you're picking kind of these are the buffs that I want to have for this fight. Um, I know they're going to go away, so I know I will lose this. Um, and so 
if you spend a lot, you're going to be really encouraged to win the fight because, you know, you know, I'm going to lose 500,000 ISK this fight unless I win it. Um, and that's, that's critical for me because I, I want to pull a profit for this fight. So I think that's, that's kind of interesting. It's a move away from, uh, emphasis on losses per individual death and more of an emphasis on winning the fight to earn money to get it back. And this kind of ties in with, with the next one um, here. So he says, risk reward in the form of contract insurance, easy missions, refund ISK losses fully, and so on. Corporation battles will have no insurance. Um, so that's, that's also very interesting. So the read on that that I'm getting is that um, let's say you're in like a pub match, like the lowest level pub match. This is like the most basic casual, whatever. Uh, and you spend... 200k in suits and you that's how much you lose because that's at the lowest level pub match you have you know either purchased insurance or been given insurance where all of that is given back to you so basically your individual debts do not matter um because it's been paid for it's all insurance uh and again it may put a little more emphasis on don't worry so much about dying a lot, at least in low-level stuff, worry about winning. Because I think that's a big issue that people ran into, especially in, in new players, is that they have a very limited amount of ISK. They have their small little set of stuff they've got, and they're terrified of dying because they know if they die, they're losing money on every death. And so what you would find is that they play extremely uh, cautious. They would have a high uh, loss aversion. They'd hide in the red line. They'd snipe. They wouldn't contribute to the fight at all. We all bitched about the red line snipers that just sat there and, and did nothing useful the whole fight because they didn't want to die and lose money. Um, and I think that this is probably kind of a push, at least at low levels. Like I said, high levels, corporation battles, no insurance. It's all same as you're used to. You die, it's gone, you've lost it. Um, but for newer players and perhaps subsequent tiers as you get higher up have less and less insurance, it does kind of take that bite away from death and it encourages you to be a little more aggressive and actually play the objective and win. Um, initially, I was like, holy shit, this is so not dust. That's terrible. It's a stupid idea. And then I was thinking about it. I'm like, well, if you play EVE, you're in a NullSec Corp or even any corporation, they have a thing called a uh, ship replacement program, which is if you show up for a corporate or alliance you know, combat op where we have to defend our territory and you die... Uh, we will replace your ship for free. That's part of the service. And it's meant to encourage people to actually show up and fight because they don't care if they die because they know they're going to get it back. Um, I think it's actually a pretty good idea now that I think about it, that it's like, you know, you early on you're going, hey, don't worry about death, just play the game. Don't worry about your losses, just play the game, you know. Um, learn the objective, that sort of thing. And then as you work your way up to higher game modes, fact war, corporation battles, what have you, uh, that that safety net disappears or gets diminished and you're, you have to play a little more cautiously. You have to be a little more smart about what you're doing, but at least you've developed good habits early on. I think that's actually a really good idea. So what are your guys' thoughts on this one? No thoughts at all? Uh, what was it? It was just a suit SRP, right? What was that? No, I think he's just trying to frame, trying to frame it. I think when you tied it into like a ship, an SRP or ship replacement program, mm. it's similar to Eve. It was, I kind of lost, I lost the skit. Uh, on that I'm one. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, so think of it as the NPC corporation you're fighting for, they go, go fight for our objective. We'll replace whatever losses you have. Um, and that's oh, kind of like, so a, it's like part of your contract. It's like a loss rate for right. your contract. Yeah. yeah no, I, buy you. I got you now. And then as you get to higher game modes, you have a, a the contract isn't as good you're more responsible for your losses um than than the corporation is so like if you're in a corporation battle um you, there's no npc funding you there's no npc to step in and go hey i'll pay for your lawsuits 
Yep, makes sense. So, theoretically, I could die, like, say, 15 times within the contract and not have to pay for the suit and the fit and whatnot, but after that, I'm shit out of luck? Uh, yeah, I mean, if, okay. if it's in, like, a low-level low level match where, um, you know, it's it's you have a, a full replacement insurance policy, yeah, that could be. Okay, okay. I, what, I, what I would actually rather see and it's just slight variation i'm just literally just thinking through this as you said this um if it's if if it's like an like a npc style thing or a uh like a uh like a an npc corp contract or something of that nature i think if the if they're like uh hey it's the whatever you know whatever corporation they will supply only things that they make so here's the three suit fits that they will give you for free as, as much as you want in, in in the fight with these with this weapon loadout and all these other modules and all that shit on there. So it's kind of those pre-baked suits that, that we were doing towards the backside of dust that came kind of pre-fitted and you couldn't really change them. Like that's mm-hmm. what that's actually kind of what I would like to see them do is more along those lines of like, hey, I'll give you here's. Here's my like one, two, three, four, five, six, however many suits and stuff that that we make or that we own. We'll give you all that for free for this one match uh, as part of the contract. But if you want to play anything else, that's on that's that's your money. Uh, I actually kind of like I'd I'd like to do it that way, to be honest with you. That actually is interesting because you would then see, um, you know, teams would probably adopt a more you know, uniform doctrine of what they're doing. If you're fighting for, you know, Creodron, you're going to see a lot of armor tank Galente suits on that team. And then you could, you know, uh, change your play to, you know, accommodate that. And if you're the opponent, you know, so that would, that'd be interesting. I'd be kind of curious to see, you know, different options in terms of, like you said, where, especially with kind of what we discussed before, where they're, they're focusing more on, uh, the corporations producing certain things. Um, and so if it's like, like you said, if it's within the company's stock, they're like, sure, whatever, it's free. Um, and if you go outside that, they're like, well, okay, then you got, you can pay for that. But you know, if it's in our warehouse, you know, you can use it for this fight. We won't charge you for it. That's, well, the, that's- other, the, the other thing it kind of will do is it'll have a secondary benefit. If there's anything remotely like a, like a faction setting, like faction setting or faction war, like in terms of like the, the big, like the big, uh, like galactic states, you know, like you're fighting for the Glente, as you said. So it, they may be Glente corporations, but you're like it, it, you're driving yourself towards more and more skill sets or, or progression trees that fit within the things that more Glente type corporations do well. Uh, that you know that would probably be okay. Uh, you could also see you know like some faction suits being available. That and actually pre pre-fit drop shoots is not a bad way to go. And you can also use that as a currency mechanism or a reward mechanism for uh, like uh, corporate, you know, like what do you call it? Standings with, uh, with different corporations, you know, y- you get access to buy certain things like currency, but you could also get like a crate of drop suits, you know, like you get 10 Ishikone, you know, Death Commando Shinobi suits or something like that as part of your, con- you know, as part of your uh, your victory bonus for a contract, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, and actually, that's that is a good point with the the prefit suits. I think in general, that's a probably pretty good idea um, that all suits are are prefit, and then you can modify them that way. When a new player comes in, they've got a 
pre-made suit and they can just go with it rather than having to build it from scratch. Well, yeah. Um, and what, what you also do is I'm sitting, is I'm kind of playing this on my head is like what it really, what it does help you out with is, is it smooths out. You can actually make the system as complex as you want, but what you're doing is you're giving them factory things almost. Exactly. And the better, the the more advanced they get, or the more knowledgeable they get about the game, they you, you can like click in there and say, you know, turn off all the safety settings, and then let me rejigger this suit however I want, uh, or you know, totally build you know, kit bash your own together that that kind of thing, which would be pretty. I think I think those kind of options would be pretty bomber. Uh, you know, just gives you some different. Different things to do, and it probably or different uh, different points of entry into the game based on what you're what you're already bringing to the table. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's a, a good way to go about it, and and it probably helps kind of simplify um, a lot of what you're kind of talking about with you know the the rewards and, and how they they handle you know insurance and costs like that. So I think that's that's probably a pretty good direction to go with it. I think they they should probably consider something like that. Okay, next one is uh, a couple more here. Uh, weapon progression within each weapon with attachments. Some scopes can be used on all weapons or on any weapon. So um, I think it's probably safe to assume that uh, weapon attachments are indeed a thing. We know at least for a fact that there are scopes and some of them are universal and can be used on any any gun that's you know, compatible. So that's, that's pretty cool. Um, also weapon progression within the weapon. So I, again, that's probably you've got civilian t1 t2 um skills within that i think that's that's pretty standard i'm not sure if he was implying that there's progression with the attachments themselves if you've got you know better scopes that are upgraded versions of a previous one uh not very clear on that but it is definitely good news to hear that there are going to be attachments i think that was a pretty pretty good uh, uh a pretty good thing that people requested for in dust was different scopes and stuff like that so i am i am glad to see that what I'm not sure about is if it's going to be like hard stat bonuses, like this thing gives you, you know, plus 15 stability or whatever, or if it's more of a, you know, what's your preference in scopes, that sort of thing. So, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see how that plays out. But uh, what are you guys' thoughts on, on weapon attachments and in progression and such? That'd be really cool. I would like that. I think it makes sense. I think having the option to add weapon fitting, um, even if it's very basic, uh, just four grips, that sort of thing, would be, would be pretty bomb. Huge fan. Anything it, that was one of my biggest beefs in Dust was why I couldn't slap even the most rudimentary sight on a different weapon. And uh, I, I totally understand why because they didn't didn't have any of the systems built with which to do that. Uh, but I just have an extreme distaste for being forced to use iron sights uh, in like the four gazillionth century as I'm warping around and cloning into shit and throwing lasers left and right. And I got to use the same iron sights that I use on a rifle out of the box. Just saying. Well, I mean, you know, if the gun fires faster, that means you don't get a scope. I mean, that's just, it's a physical possibility. Yeah. Now I honestly, the, the, the thing I kept asking for was basically take the, uh, the little reflex sight that was on the, the SMG and put that on the assault rail rifle. Oh, yeah. or, or that that was all I really want. That's literally all I wanted. Right. So. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but, and some uh, of those iron sights were terrible. Like you oh cover half yeah. the screen. Oh, gee, yeah. So anyway, short answer. I I, I kind of like a lot of that. Anything where you can put attachments on weapons is basically the standard for any shooter game mm-hmm. that, that I'm tracking. I mean, Overwatch is the only one that gets away with not doing that, but that's because each individual character or hero is uniquely different and brings different things in. But I, I would say any any sort of shooter of this ilk, 
you should have modifiable weapons. If I can do, if I can have a, a gazillion different co- combinations on my drop suit, I should be able to like, I don't know, swap out the, swap out the scope or, or something, <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. anything. <laughs> well, and, and what would be interesting is uh, in, in mag, for example, your attachments actually consume fitting resource. So if they are indeed buffs, um, that kind of adds an extra layer of, you know, do I want a little extra shield or do I want my gun to be more stable? And you can kind of tweak that around. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll kind of, I'll, I'll go, I'll go out on a limb on this one. I would actually say, um, if they were going to, there, there's a couple ways they can do this. Keep it, keep it the same that we had before, where it directly tied to your CPU, PG, whatever resources were powering your stuff, or you have certain weapons that tie into your suit and certain ones that don't. So something like uh, the heavy machine gun, you know, which clearly requires power to operate, uh, that that's not probably not self-contained in the weapon. I would say that draws from suit power, or like a a forge gun, or so, you know, st- stuff like that, like heavier weapons. But like assault rifles, pistols, and all this other jazz, I, I would say probably not. I, I would actually not tie any kind of resource into their suit, in, into the suit, at least not from a power standpoint. And uh, just to make it easier. When you say power, do you mean the fitting resource? Yeah, fit, whatever the fitting okay. resource is. Uh, mostly because it's a handheld device that's that you can drop in theory, and it, it's not tethered to you. If it's something tied to your suit, like the heavy weapons predominantly, t- you know, appear to be, uh, I think, uh, you know, I think that makes sense uh, in term in terms of that kind of stuff. Because just like you have ammunition in the right in the in the weapon, you probably have, you know, power slash fitting stuff fitting juice in the weapon as well uh, so i wouldn't worry and, and it actually can make your problem set a little simpler when you're really predominantly worried about just what goes on in the suit and you leave most of the weapon stuff off to the side um, you almost treat weapon progression much like you do like for example like in any other shooter call of duty slash you know ghost recon or whatever you're really you're unlocking weapons and you're applying bonuses to the weapons to taste based on the type of weapon and the type of mods you want to put on it. But the suit, which is really where you're bringing a lot of the, the capabilities, that one is probably like, hey, I want something that lets me do wall runs or I want something that lets me jump, you know, like, you know, like hydraulic, you know, jacks in the, in the legs of the suit that let, lets me jump twice as high. That stuff absolutely should, should score heavy in whatever the fitting resources are. Uh, so that, that just my two cents on it. Now, this is something I actually uh, probably should have brought back up with the capacitor thing, but uh, one thing that actually has been kind of bouncing around in the Discord channel is should certain weapons, instead of having a maximum ammo uh, associated with them, uh, I'm speaking specifically about like MR laser weapons, should they instead draw from the capacitor of your suit instead of having, like, you're carrying this many batteries in your belt, it's... You might still have a magazine, but when you reload, it just draws power from your capacitor instead of, like, a, a Amazon, instead of a um, ammo pool. What are your guys' thoughts on that one? Uh, I, I the, the principle actually works pretty well if you're running, like, an all-energy setup, you know, but mm-hmm. uh, I, I think just for simplicity's sake, I would... I would keep it self-contained inside the weapon. That's kind of the position I took as well. Is it, if it's at that point, it's like, is it cool? Yeah. Is it kind of confusing when it's like, well, here these guns use bullets, but these ones use capacitor. That might be a little much. Um, 
for, for people. So I, I'd probably keep it self-contained as well, but I, I would like to get people kind of talking about that and get their thoughts on it um, as well. Hey, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, I'll make a deal with you. Watch the, uh, you watch the harebrained schemes, like that one hour gameplay, that 55 minute gameplay video, mm-hmm. watch how they handle uh, kinetic weapons versus beam weapons and missile weapons. And then the trade-offs in terms of the resources they have to manage during the fight. Because uh, I could actually see a couple different things that you could do with that, either in terms of power or heat or other things, because you had to manage heat with SMGs um, or correction HMGs. So I, watch that, and then I would like to, I'd like actually like to visit this with you next week, because uh, just for sure. record, just so everybody knows, I'm over here furiously typing in Skype that I got to go. I'm I'm actually getting pulled oh, out. Oh, I'm sorry, so. <laughs> but uh, but no, I, I I this is actually a pretty neat kind of game design discussion uh, just generally. And it's really not even not even just applicable to something like Nova, but really any kind of game. It's just how do you how do you make these things? So I, I'll tell you what, I will I will jump back in this conversation with you next week. Uh, watch the watch the video link and let's see if we can compare and contrast uh, different ways that you can manage resources for it. All right. Sounds good, man. You have a good night. All right. Take it easy, guys. Bye. Okay, so last one, and this is this is kind of broad, but uh, basically says the intent is to draw from Eve as much as possible while fixing the other things wrong with dust. One of those was risk adverse. We kind of talked about that before with uh, insurance and uh, battle-wide consumables. Uh, and then he says, and mechanics that punish normal FPS behavior too much in the beginning. And, and I think this does kind of go back to the the risk aversion that we, we mentioned where it's people would do weird shit in dust. If you're at all familiar, they just... They do very strange things to avoid dying, um, which was not healthy for the game. You usually have the, you know, like six guys that would run into the objective because they actually wanted to win, and then the other twelve sat and watched them die, you know, because they were sniping from the red line. So that's that's not normal FPS behavior. Um, something we need to avoid. And I think that generally they're moving away from that per death loss that we saw in Dust, at least initially, early on. Uh, probably for the best for the reasons I gave before, where it's just it it made people have really bad habits um and that definitely echoed throughout the game and the progression of the game mode so i think for the best that's that's probably a really good direction to go with it what are your guys' thoughts do you think that the move away from uh per death loss is a good or a bad thing that's what i guess when beginning and learning the game it's a good thing yeah and that's that's probably a pretty pretty important qualifier there is that this is early on um i think for higher level play it should absolutely be you are responsible for your own losses and death um but hopefully by then you've kind of got your head around the whole thing and you know you're you're invested and you're going to keep you know playing but for a new player i think losing your shit i mean early on you could very easily act like an idiot and go broke pretty quick um if you started using non-starter fits so that causes bad behavior i think overall this philosophy is probably a positive uh so yeah that was that was it he, he did mention one more thing when he said faction he says faction means faction flavor whether that's marine pirate specific empire corpse bravo company etc um so when he says faction it doesn't necessarily mean uh you know galente mr mimitar Kalari. it just means it's a third party um outside the standard uh progression so again they're, they're kind of moving towards that 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 model of it's the corporation that's important, not necessarily what race they are. So just something to consider. And I think that's about it. Um, like I said, lots of stuff. That was probably about two weeks worth of, of content. Um, pretty good discussion, guys. I do appreciate your thoughts on that. And again, we will 
kind of keep compiling that as he is Rattati releases information. Hopefully this continues. It's really good stuff. It's good for the show because we have stuff to talk about. Um, and we'll compile that and kind of do a weekly report every week. If, if something does pop up, we'll post on the forums and the website, Twitter, all the usual channels. Uh, and I'll also be doing kind of a compiled list of just all the information that we have so far, kind of everything we know at this point. Uh, so if you've got people that are coming back asking for updates, um, you know, where's, what's the status of the game? What do we know? You can just link them straight to that and you should have all the information you need. So should be a good tool to kind of keep people informed. And, and again, we'll, we'll keep this stuff updated. Uh, was there any other stuff that you guys wanted to cover before we bring this one in for a close? As far as anything. Oh, oh. You, you're, you're up. Sorry, man. I totally missed, uh, missed that. Uh, your review of your game for this week. Oh, yeah, so I, uh, I I came across a copy of Stellaris uh, because I had other things that preoccupied me from playing the Xbox game that I was supposed to play, so uh, a mix of that and Stellaris kind of kind of kept me from that, which is fine. Um, Stellaris is really fun. It's, uh, it's a 4X game, so it's sort of like Civilization. Um, but it's a lot of okay. You build your empire. Uh, you know you can manage your manage your resources, manage your your planets and whatnot. Um, and you know either just have the biggest fucking galaxy in the entire planet. It, it, it's really fun. And uh, yeah, that's my that's my thing. I uh, I'm not very good at these kinds of things, and I'm still not very good at Stellaris. But it, it is a load of fun to play. So if you like kind of if you like anything that Paradox has put out. Um, I think they also put out uh, one of the a uh, couple of the Europa games uh, and a few other things. If you like, you know, games like that, check it on Steam. Uh, it's called Stellaris. It was in a humble bundle, I think, so you can get it for actually relatively cheaper than what's it, what it's in the store for. So go check that game out. Uh, yeah, so it's like forty bucks in Steam right now. Yes, uh, buddy of mine picked it up for twelve dollars in the humble bundle, so pick it up for you know more than half off, and then of course the money from hum- uh, some of the money from your humble the humble bundle goes to charity, so you can feel better about yourself uh, while doing that. Uh, also, I saw some stuff. This comes from Digital Spy. Uh, of course, this year we have to have another Assassin's Creed game because, like Call of Duty, they are just about every year um i guess last year there's a screenshot circulating around that uh kind of hinted at maybe a ancient egyptian setting and then i think it was trying to uh be played up or played down as a uh an alpha for like a prince of persia game but um it seems that uh it is to be an assassin's creed game um assassin's creed has a really fun history with leaks i think just about every assassin's creed game except for two has been leaked and the leaks have turned out to be pretty accurate um and by pretty accurate i mean basically spot on so the game will be set in egypt as far as i'm concerned um how far back that remains to be seen but i'm thinking pretty pretty ancient so uh yeah there's that uh, we'll see more um, at E3 without a doubt. There's a screenshot that came out shows your little your little assassin dude on a boat, um, and one of the missions is assassinate the crocodile. Um, you know that <laughs> confirms. Oh my God, it's an Assassin's Creed game because you're killing or because you're assassinating something. Um, 
but it, it uh, certainly kind of points to that. And uh, Screenshot also included a, a ship, so people are thinking, oh my god, this could be naval combat, uh, which hasn't been a thing since like the past two Assassin's Creed games. I think the last one to have it was Rogue, uh, which is the last um, uh, is it PS3 and Xbox 360 Assassin's game. So, we'll see. Um, expect more in how, how far away is E3? Like, what? Maybe a month away? Ooh, it's mid-June, I think. Yeah, so what? A month away, yeah. So be, be on the lookout for that, if, if that's your kind of thing. Oh, and they're thinking about doing uh, biannual uh, releases. So every two years, we'll get an Assassin's Creed game. That seems much more responsible than cramming one out once a year. I mean, I know they have yeah. separate teams doing it, but still, you know, that, it was ridiculous for a while. It, it, it was, and I think that, you know, that thing, with the the debacle with Unity, uh, kind of uh, solidified the okay. I think every year this is is getting to be a little too much. Even though, even though development for that game had started in like 2010 when Revelations released, and so between Revelations and the time that Unity came out, you had one, two, th- like three different Assassin's games coming out. So take that for what you will, I guess. Yeah. It uh, looks like E3 2017 is June 13th through the 15th. So yeah, that's uh, basically exactly a month away. So there you go. lots lots of stuff coming. Uh, there's a lot. That's going to be a fun week. I think there's a lot of cool titles coming out this year that we have confirmed that we'll have lots of stuff to talk about. So I'm excited for that one. Yes. Uh, hey, I want to see I want to see Bungie impress me with Destiny 2. You have your one chance. One chance. Because <laughs> I'm not I'm, going back to it unless they, they convince me. I am going to be all over that Red Dead Redemption 2 stuff that they're gonna yeah. that yeah, they're gonna sure. put out all right sounds good oh and, and also um i was gonna say with stellaris uh being put up by paradox um i also forgot to mention that hairbrain schemes uh has partnered with paradox to uh publish uh the uh, battletech game that's coming out so um that'll be good they're going to be kind of funding all of the uh marketing and stuff like that to kind of get them a little more exposure and uh hairbrain schemes still retains all rights to the creative production so that's also really good so Paradox guys have been up to a lot of cool stuff lately, so I hope to see more from them. Uh, that being said, I think we are good to go, unless you want to do your BBC real quick. Oh, dude, I would love to do my BBC. So, you know, being that, that I live in Florida, um, well, first I should preface, because I'm sure this sounds weird if you're new to the show, BBC is Bates Pitching Corner, so it is not what you little perverts think it is. Uh, so being that I live in, in Florida, and it's May, it's the middle of May, it's already 90 plus degrees during the day, plus humidity. Uh, people have pools in their backyard because that's a thing. And people also have kids, uh, which is really unfortunate for me. And so the nights during the summer, obviously, uh, uh, they're warm. And people like to go out uh, at night and swim in their pool. And that's fine if you do it quietly. But unfortunately, people with kids do not do it quietly because kids are loud and kids are annoying. So what they'll do is they'll go out and you know, nine o'clock or ten o'clock, and uh, I'll swim, and you know, I'll be sitting. And like this happened the other day, I was sitting out on my uh, in my enclosure, my screened-in enclosure. This is important. Uh, you know, listening to to my music at a volume that nobody else could hear. Uh, not you know, wasn't bothering anybody. And then out of nowhere, I hear splashes and squeals and screams of great pleasure coming from children uh, <laughs> playing in a pool. And it was really annoying. And so I sit out there and I'm, I'm minding my own business and I'm having my nice evening disrupted uh, by other people's kids. So if you're a parent, don't let your kid be loud past like 
830. And Beta's that's my beef. Eight, Beta's 18 going on 60. <laughs> uh, yeah. I you're you're, you're just, kind of an old man, but that's okay. If I lived in Florida, it, I'd be an old man too. It, it, it really is the most one of the most annoying things ever. So control your kids, people. You're gonna do well later in life. I I, I really sure I, I sure hope so. All right, guys. Um, so that, that's Bates BBC. Um, but yeah, real good show. Let's do some quick shout outs here and bring this in for a close. We're pushing the two hour mark here, so we'll probably have to close this one up so I can go get to my Mother's Day dinner. So, uh, Zell, buddy, you still I'm awake? giving my uh, giving my shout out to uh, Ozzy the Desk Weasel. And if you don't know who Ozzy the Desk Weasel is, just look for it on YouTube. It's, we're it's start- and it is safe for work. I I feel like if we're talking about weasels, I should be clear. It is safe for work. There's no screams and slashes of pleasure. There are none of those. <laughs> like what? Okay, Bate, you're up. Um, do I have a shout out? Yes. Oh, somebody bought or brought me um, brownies this week, and it was they were really good brownies. Uh, and of course, when you have brownies, you have to have Moose Tracks ice cream. So that was also brought along. So shout out to the person who brought me brownies and Moose Track ice cream. You are the best person ever. <laughs> All right, and Darth. Happy Dust Day. Happy Dust Day. Yeah, today is May May 14th. It Dust came out four years ago for actual Indeed. launch. Yeah. Plus the beta. We've been doing this shit for way too long. If you were a closed beta vet like me. And now it is no longer a celebration, but rather a remembrance. Yeah. And for everyone out there who thought that they're going to announce the alpha for Nova on Dust Day. <laughs> guys, <laughs> guys, they will they will pick the day as, for, as far away as possible from Dust Day because they don't want to remember that it was there at all. Now, see, we've got two anniversaries in the month of May. And the 30th will be its own thing. <laughs> That's right. true. That, that might be more of a celebration for CCP. Like, oh, God, it's over. It's <laughs> over with. Thank God. Hey, why yeah. does CCP like May so much? I'll just speculate on that one. <laughs> Okay, uh, my shout out uh, today is Mother's Day, so I'm gonna give a shout out to my mom. She's the one that actually got me into gaming. I remember watching on the couch while she played ugh, Super Mario World, I think, or maybe Super Mario Three. I forget, but uh, yeah. And I, I just watched, and eventually I started playing, and then it turned into a full blown obsession where she questioned my life choices and and all of that. So shout out to her, um, and thanks Darth for coming on and talking with us about. Uh, uh, what you can with with the Ritani updates is kind of good to get your insight and uh, what clarification you can offer with limitations placed on you. So I do appreciate that. Of course, anytime. I hope it happens more often in the future. I think, yeah, yeah, that would be great. It's just, you know, if, if they happen to listen to the show, please keep this up. It's good content and it makes people very happy. There was this, this uh, my, my compilation post actually got put on the Eve subreddit, uh, it was on the forums. Um, lots of lots of positive feedback from it. A lot of people like, oh, yeah, info, finally. It's only been two years or whatever. Right? Yeah, not to toot your own horn, but yes. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah. I, would say, I would say people are happy with you. Yes. Oh, well, that's good. I, it's honestly, though, it, it is. I do hope that, uh, you know, we, we can keep this up. The community likes it. Um, I mean, look at this. We did a small tidbit of, uh, of information, you know, just a, a couple lines of a picture, you know, and we talked about it for an hour and a half. Um, and we could definitely go more in depth with it. So, I mean, it's, it's a content generator for the community to talk about, which is always a positive. So I do hope it continues. So uh, a small shout out to Ritati for, for actually sharing stuff with us. And I hope to God that, that picture you had is my phoenix skin um 
because he he <laughs> he did promise me. He goes, he goes, man, we, we we're not gonna call the game Phoenix. And I'm like, well, give me a Phoenix skin. And he's like, okay, I'll see what I can do. So hopefully we can get some uh, Phoenix skins for the Dust veterans out there. It'd be pretty cool stuff. But yeah, it was really cool to see that. I was I was pretty excited. Um, but yeah, that being said, uh, again, thanks for tuning in with us. Um, good episode. I, I want a good discussion on this. I hope we can do more. Uh, and please please leave your feedback. Um, like I said, the the, the the thread, uh, the, the blog post is linked on the Eve subreddit. It's on the Dust forums, or you can comment on our website. Um, again, I just want to see more discussion about the stuff that's in there. Uh, if you do listen to the show, this is this is a good opportunity to give feedback because if they're sharing um, these ideas and saying, hey, it's up in the air, so it's it's all up for debate, this is the time to get your feedback in instead of not saying anything and then bitching when it doesn't turn out the way you wanted um, in the future. So I really, really do want to encourage people to actually talk about this stuff. Um, it is important, so please do. Uh, but yeah, so thanks for tuning in. I hope you all have a great Mother's Day. Please be safe out there. Give your mom a hug and uh, have a good night.